Well, good morning, Pathway Church. As Nate said, I'm Pastor Jeremy. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm just I'm one of your pastors here at Pathway Church. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for coming, for worshiping with us, for sticking it out in this season that, that God is transitioning us in. Um, I just hope you guys know how loved you guys are. Um, every Tuesday morning, the pastors, we get together and we're sharing stories about you guys. Many of you have gotten phone calls and we're praying for you guys. And so we're just so thankful for, for all of you and coming and, and your passion for the word of God and your passion for worship. It's just so evident in all that we do here at Pathway Church. Um, again, my name is Jeremy. Um, it's been about four years since I have been able to have the opportunity to get up here and to get in the pulpit and share God's word with you guys. And so I'm extremely excited. It was just a little over four years ago in my last message that they installed me as one of your pastors. And so pretty excited to be up here and to be sharing the word of God with all of you. Um, as a bit of just kind of information for some of you that weren't here last weekend, um, Dr. Hall has been praying, and he was our, our former interim pastor and had been bringing the word for us, um, had been praying and just really felt really strongly from the Holy Spirit that there was maybe a different role that he could fill that would help us as a, as a church as we just are continuing to press into God and to hear from him as we move forward as a church. And so he's going to kind of be there to, as, as, we, as we need him to help with the senior pastor search, with the children's pastor search, figuring out exactly where God wants us to go. And so as leadership, we're very excited for that. And can we just take a second and give Dr. Hall thanks? Um, he came in here week after week and just faithfully preached the word of God. I know I have a huge heart for Dr. Hall. Uh, I'm a Warner University grad, and so he was my president when I was there. And Pastor Nate uh, has, has a huge heart for him, too, as Dr. Hall, for about four years, was a mentor for Nate when he was a youth pastor over in Lake Wales. And so here's what I want to share with you guys. Moving forward, when it comes to pulpit ministry, um, we just believe really strongly, the pastors and elders, that God wants us to stay in the book of Acts, and he wants us to continue preaching it verse by verse. And so that's what you're going to get. And so you've got me the next two weeks. And then after that, you'll have Dr. Smith for a couple weeks. And so here's the cool thing. Um, we're going to kind of sit down together, those of us that fulfill the pulpit ministry. We're going to outline the book of Acts together. So every time you get scheduled, you're going to know exactly what verses you're in. And I'm going to take my big stack of books that I've been using as resources. And I'm going to walk over to Dr. Smith's office and Bam, I'm going to drop them all on his desk, and he'll be able to use what I'm using. And when it's my turn, if he found anything else, and then Pastor Chantha will get them, and Pastor Nate when, when he feels led to get up here. So again, we're, we're not done in the book of Acts. I believe God has something very special for us as we continue just to break that book down and see uh, what God might have. And so again, that's where we're at today. We're going to be in Acts 3, and uh, the, the idea is just verse-by-verse teaching. So all right, here's a fun fact about one of your pastors. This is about me. Um, and my mom's here, so you can verify all of this. Um, this isn't going to be one of those preacher stories. Um, so ever since I can remember, I've had, like, the largest imagination of anybody I know. Like, I've just always fantasized about things and, and doing fun things, and I have these weird ideas, and that's just how God has wired me. And ever since I was a little kid, I would always, I don't know, just, like, hope for significance, because every time I like looked in the mirror, I just always saw ordinary. And that's not bad. I mean, that's how God built me and how he wired me. But I always like hoped that maybe there was something happening in my life that I didn't see, but God like knew about. So like here, for instance, um, I used to like be the first time, I think it was in ninth grade. Remember the old Port St. Lucie auditorium that was down by the college? Um, there was a Newsboys concert. <clears throat> and I would go to a concert like that and I'd be going, 
wouldn't it be so cool if all of a sudden whoever the lead singer news voice, wait a second, is there a Jeremy Van Valkenburg here? Because I think he's supposed to come up and sing a song. And I would get up on stage, and I'd grab that mic, and I'd start singing that Newsboy song, and everybody would be like, we never knew you could sing. And I'd be like, I never knew I could sing either. Like, I always dreamed of these things. Um, even, like, back in state youth con day, uh, convention days when I was in high school, like my senior year, I remember, like, sitting there, and then, what is the Spirit of God? I was like, again, is Jeremy Van Valken? I just have this sense. And I would get up, and I would preach this message, and everyone would get saved, and everybody would be like, what is going on right now? And I'd be like, I don't know. And so, like, I would just get really into these types of things that, like, for me, that's just how my mind always worked because I was always like, I wish I had, like, powers or significance or something that was just bigger than who I was. And so I, I used to love Star Wars films when I was a kid. I mean, is there a greater story of some kid who's a nobody that turns out having these incredible powers and he takes down the empire and, you know? There was a book series even in my, my early 20s, and it's kids fiction, so you can judge me all you want. It was called Aragon, and it was a story of a young farmer who didn't know who his parents were, and so he was living with his aunt and, or with his uncle in the middle of the woods, and he finds a dragon egg, and the egg hatches, and he touches it, becomes bonded with the dragon, and one day saves the world. Like, those are the types of stories that I used to throw myself into because I always, again, I always used to dream of, like, this significance. And, like, in my early 30s, the coolest thing happened. I realized I don't have any significance. Like, I'm just ordinary, and I'm okay with that, because as I started to grow deeper and deeper in my relationship with Jesus Christ, I began to realize, while I may not be extraordinary, I serve an extraordinary God, and more and more lately, probably in the last six or eight months, I began to realize that while I may not have any kind of special powers, God left his people with a power that is greater than anything the world has ever seen, and there's a power that could literally change the world forever. But I'm not going to share it with you right now. We're going to wait until the end, because I think God wants us to get into these scriptures, and so what we're going to do in here in a moment is uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read Acts 3, 1 through 10, and then we're going to go back through together, and we're going to take these little bite-sized pieces and learn what God might be having for us in all these individual verses. And so while I'm praying, if you could, could you just open your Bibles to Acts 3 with me? And this is really the only verses we're going to be in, so if you want to keep your finger there, and we're going to be going back and forth a lot. So I'm going to pray. Father God, I just thank you for your spirit um, standing in the back of the room, listening to your people saying hallelujah for the cross. God, it's just, it moves my soul, and God, it just always, it just points everything I know back to you. Because God, I know this, you're the author of life change. God, it's only you that can heal a soul. It's only you that can forgive sin. And so, Lord, hallelujah for that cross. And so we're asking today, over the next just 25, 30 minutes or so, God, allow us to dig in, to press into you, so we might be able to see what you have for us through your word. And so, God, thank you for this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we go. We're in Acts 3. I'm going to start at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. 
And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have to you, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And so we just have like a normal day. Peter and John, they're headed up to the temple to pray. And as they're going, they see a lame beggar who has been lame since birth sitting at the temple gate. And they see them, that they, the Peter and John see him. And I just have to imagine as they were walking by, Peter and John just must become full, so full of the spirit of God that they saw that they needed to act. And so they engage this, this man. The man asks for alms, but they, the, Peter and John give something different. They actually heal him. And after they heal him, it says that the man got up, ran into the temple, praising God, and people were filled with awe and wonder. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to verse 1, and let's start breaking this thing apart and seeing uh, exactly what God has for us. So now here in verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Have you guys noticed as you're reading the word, like you just sometimes wish, like, can you just give me the time of day? Like, it'd be so much easier than like the ninth hour, the fourth hour, the third hour. And so I was doing a little research and I realized, oh, it's actually quite simple on how you figure out what time is in the Bible. And so uh, the Jewish day goes from sunrise to sunset. And so from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So in this particular story, we're told that at the ninth hour, Peter and John were heading to the temple. So we just do a little simple math and I'm going to use my fingers because that's what I do. So seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, one, two, three. Nine hours. So what we know is that 3 p.m. in the afternoon, Peter and John were making their way to the temple to pray. And so uh, back then, the Jews, they believed that there were three times every single day that they were really supposed to focus on prayer. Uh, Psalm 55 says, morning, noon, and evening, we call out to the Lord. And so this was their evening prayer at 3 p.m. And it's, it's really interesting, too. Um, while the Jews would all believe they needed to pray three times a day, um, they really felt like if they could actually make it to the temple, their prayers maybe had a little more weight or significance. Um, and, and we can also tell um, from the grammar. Now, I'm not is a grammarian. I don't even know what the right word is. I'm not very good with my grammar. But in all the commentaries I read, that when you look back at the original language, the interpretation of the word going is, I think it was called like a past prerogative, which means that basically we can tell from that use of the word that this is something that they did kind of daily, if like definitely a lot, but more than likely even daily, they would go to the temple for these prayers. And so I know some of you are sitting here right now going, okay, thanks for the history lesson, Pastor Jerry. That's awesome. I don't really understand what that means, but that's cool. Why are you taking some time on it? We're going to get there in a second. Verse 2. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And so we know that this, this lame beggar was brought to the temple every single day. Now, as I started to kind of really jump in and to research, like I was like, okay, cool, where's the beautiful gate? 
Well, unfortunately, this is really the only place that scholars can find this gate called the beautiful gate anywhere in scholarly work. And so there's kind of there's some subjection on which gate this actually would have been in the temple. And so there's one camp that believes that it would have been at, well, I think it's called the Nicor Gate, also known as the Corinthian Gate. And it would kind of make sense because this particular gate was made out of bronze and silver and very ornate. Um, I personally don't believe that that is the gate that they would have been placing this beggar at because um, in the Mishnah, and I'm not a Jewish scholar, but what I can tell, the Mishnah is like, um, it's an exegetical commentary on the oral tradition of the Jews. Well, in in Mishnah Kilim 1.8, I think it is, it talks about how holy the temple uh, courts are and that anybody with any kind of like an infirmary wouldn't have actually been allowed to come into the temple courts. And that's, that's where this Corinthian gate would have been. So I actually tend to believe that he, they, he would have been brought to what's called the double gate. Carrie, can you throw that picture up for me? So this is actually the south wall of the temple in Jerusalem. And see, you can see double gate because there's two of them there. And so I, along with, with many of the scholars that I was reading through as I was preparing this week, I think this is the place where they probably brought this lame beggar um, day after day for what we learn, we'll learn more about this next week, but for over 40 years he was brought to this very spot. And I thought it was really interesting as I was looking, like, obviously there's no way to tell in the scripture, like, where this man would have actually lived, but even if he lived in that first house, can you imagine how hard it would have been day after day to carry him? Because... I mean, we know his feet and ankles were bad, so we know he probably couldn't walk, but they had to carry him up those steps and, and all of that. Really interesting to me. So let, let me just share it with you. Again, you're probably going, cool, Jer. You showed me the temple. That's awesome. Why? Because next to your salvation and teaching you about what salvation in Jesus Christ is, One of the highest values I have for you as one of your pastors is to get you to fall in love with the word of God. These details matter because it brings the Bible alive. Think about this right now. If you had the time, you, had the, the, you wanted to give the effort, and you had the money, you could fly right now over to Israel, go to Jerusalem, and you could literally stand at this gate and stand in the place where God's glory manifested through his spirit on Peter and John, and a man was healed. This is not Aesop's fables. This is not the Canterbury Tales. This is the living word of God. And if you want to see your life be changed, if you want to, I don't, okay, How many of you right now would raise your hand and say, Pastor Jeremy, I just want to hear God's voice. It's okay, you can raise your hand. Don't you guys daily want to just, and there's books written, and how do I hear God's voice? How do I hear God's voice? What if I could tell you that a day could go by that you don't have to hear God's voice? He made it every single day where you could hear it. Open the book. The words on these pages are as if God was standing in the room with us right now, and he wants to speak to you. Get in the word daily. And so I'm jumping on some of these details again because, like, okay, some of you, go ahead. Set your alarms on your phones right now for 3 p.m. today. Because at 3 p.m., you might be watching football. Some may be helping set up for TNT. But when that reminder comes up, you are going to be reminded that almost 2,000 years ago, In Jerusalem, at exactly that time, a man, life was changed. This book is real, 
and this book, you say, Pastor Jeremy, I just don't know what to do with my finances. Open the book. Pastor Jeremy, my kids, they're just acting out and I know what to do. Open the book. All the answers that you need, everything that God needs to share with you can be found right here. And so I pray often for all of you that you would just fall in love with God's word. Go with me to verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he, he asked for, to receive psalms or alms. So let's take ourselves for a moment. Remember, I have a big imagination, and we're going to jump into our sanctified imagination a little bit. Let's put ourselves in the perspective of the beggar. Can you imagine what he felt day after day as he woke up knowing that people would have to come and get him? I'm imagining they would probably have to help him get his clothes on and get him and carry him to start feeling like a burden and to feeling like you have no worth, you have no significance. But I got to imagine he was, must have been somewhat well-liked because if there was a group of people willing to come and grab him day after day after day and take him up to the gate like that, um, you know, they must have really cared about him, I would guess. And so now imagine you've been carried um, and you've been laid at this gate and now you're just watching people pass by and watching people pass by. And all you're hoping that you can do is to make eye contact because, all right, how many else of you guys are like me? You're at Publix and you're walking out and there's a volleyball team asking for money and you're like, oh gosh, I don't have any cash. What do I do? And so you just go, okay, don't make eye contact. If they don't see my eyes, they won't ask me for anything. And so I got to imagine that was maybe what was going on with that beggar. He's sitting, he's just, can I just make eye contact with somebody and that way I can share my need with them. And imagine that your whole life came down to, if I could just beg enough and get a shekel to get me by, a morsel of bread, an article of clothing so I don't get, don't get cold tonight. That's what this whole man's existence is all about. And so he sits there, he sees Peter and John coming. He's just thinking, these are just ordinary worshipers. And I know that they would bring uh, the, the people that had infirmaries like this, they'd bring them to the gate because, let's be honest, typically people of faith and those who believe and would pray and, and make that kind of, are typically more gracious than, than, than others. And in verse 4, it says, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. So again, remember we were talking earlier, um, I just have to imagine that as Peter and John were coming up just for their daily prayers, they were so moved by the Spirit of God to have compassion on that beggar to the point where they're not like, oh, no, don't make eye contact. He literally says, look at us. And in verse 5, it says, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And so we keep seeing this word over and over, alms, and all that alms are. Now, you're going to hear me use this reference a lot, and probably even Dr. Smith, too, because they use this at Master's Academy. But I like to define all my words out of the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. It's got more um, Christian definitions of words than any other volume that you can find. And so alms is just anything given, given gratuitously to relieve the poor, as in money, food, or clothing, otherwise called charity. And so back to verse 5 again, it says, and he fixes attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So can you imagine? You're sitting there. You're the beggar. You're sitting at the gate. And they say, look at us. And he's like, yes. They're going to give me something. I just know it. And then to hear the words come out of their mouth, 
we don't have silver nor gold. Can you imagine that would have been like, uh, okay, maybe a blessing. Hey, I'm praying for you. You know, like, but he says, Peter and John say, but what we do have we give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up. And one of the things that just hit me right between the eyes as I was reading this, these verses and I was thinking about myself being in that, that beggar's position is this, is that so many times we feel like we're just sitting at the gate when it comes with, to God and we're praying and we're asking, we're seeking, and we're just begging, God, just give me a, a morsel. Just give me some clothing. Just give me something that I can continue to survive. And so many times we can pray for years for this miracle. And when that miracle comes, many times God will answer it in a different way than we ever thought. But it turns out it's more than we could have ever asked for. Have you guys experienced that? And I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what your situation is that's keeping you at the gate. But here's what I want to say is that for the believer, God is with you. God is for you and keep begging and asking God because the reality is he's going to answer it. And like I said, it could end up being very different than you ever, than you wanted, but it'll be more than you need. My wife and I are walking through this right now in our own lives. I know many of you know our story with our sons and things like that, but um, 13, we've been married 13 and a half years. About five months after we got married, we were up at my wife's parents' house and we just really felt strongly from the Lord, we're supposed to be parents. And so we started trying for a kid. My wife got pregnant pretty quick. And uh, 23 and a half weeks, my son was born. He lived for a couple days, and then he passed away. And so I remember um, us fighting, <laughs> not like with each other, but just like wrestling with, okay, hold on. I really felt like, God, that was from you. We're supposed to be parents. Like, now my, my son's dead. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. But, like, we wanted to have faith, and we wanted to do the right thing. And I'll never forget, after the doctor said we could start trying again, we got down on our hands and knees, and I remember praying and saying, God, we pray for patience. We don't want to move faster than you in this. We believe you want us to be parents. And I know the heart of my wife and myself, and even in my prayers with, God, I'm going to raise this kid to know who you are. I'm going to teach him your word. Like, I'm going to do everything I can do to be a good parent. And seven years later, my wife got pregnant again. I actually think it was the last time that I preached. I think I even announced to you guys that Lori was pregnant. Um, we had gone in at about 12 weeks, 12 and a half weeks. Um, we had gone to a specialist just to make sure everything was going okay with the baby and things like that. And everything measured out fine, scanned out fine. And we walked away for the first time in 12 weeks going, oh, okay, we can do this. God's got this. We had Lori anointed with oil. I mean, we just thought we're good. And about 13 and a half weeks, we go back to the doctor, our, our regular doctor. My wife just needed a small little procedure. And so while we were there, the doctor said, hey, do you want to hear the baby's heartbeat? And we're like, uh, yeah, obviously. Couldn't find the heartbeat. We had just been told that everything was good. And uh, the doctors believed that sometime in the, the previous 24 hours before we came in for that next appointment a week later, that the baby lost his heartbeat. And so now I'm sitting here uh, the, the days after because um, we were sitting in the doctor's office and the doctor came to me because, you know, Lori's obviously pretty upset and just said, hey, um, doesn't have to be today, but definitely in the next day or two, Lori's going to have to check herself in in the hospital and she's going to have to deliver the baby. And so I'll never forget the days after getting out of the hospital, wrestling with God and going, God, I know you called me to be a parent. 
But what I have burned into my mind right now is my wife twice holding her deceased child. And didn't know what to do with that. But we kept praying. And then after the next, after that, the next couple of years, we had a string of miscarriages. We've had everything tested you can possibly test. There is no explanation for why we've gone through anything that we've gone through. And so September two years ago, my wife and I, the grief, I mean, as you can imagine, it was just very strong. It was tough. And we were just kind of starting to crush under the weight of it. And so I went in to the leadership here at that time, uh, Pastor Don and and Pastor Greg and Dr. Smith was in there because my wife uh, teaches at Masters. And um, we just said, guys, we just want some help. We need to figure out how to get through this and to get some counseling. And and dude, this church, (laughs) literally, we went in at like 10 o'clock. And we were on our way to the airport at 2 o'clock, going up to Atlanta, Georgia, to go to a conference that was for pastors who were going through hurt. And then later in November of that year, we went and did like a 10-day um, counseling intensive. And it was an amazing time. God brought healing. God did a lot of amazing things in our heart. And we were actually, I think it was January of 2017, we're coming to church, Lori and I, for a Saturday night service. And she looked at me and just said, so where are you at? I said, you know, I think I'm ready to be done trying for a child, but I still think I, I know I'm supposed to be a dad. And so we made the decision in the car on the, right here that, 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 that night to adopt. And so we're about a year and a half into the adoption process. Um, and so, you know, it's tough in the waiting, but God's been teaching us to wait for 13 years, you know. If I can wait this long, I can wait a couple more months. But here's what I know. I've been praying to be a dad for 13 and a half years. And I'm a dad. My boys are in heaven with the Lord right now. I get that. And that's been my prayer. God's going to answer it in a very different way than I ever thought. And hear my heart right now. One day we're going to get a phone call. And somebody's going to say, your baby was just born. And we're going to head to the hospital. And I'm finally going to get to watch my wife hold her child. And I'm not going to get all my answers. It's not going to take all the hurt away. But I guarantee in that moment, I'm going to see a glimpse of God going, you asked for it. I'm giving it to you. It may have been different than you asked for, but I promise you it will be better than you could have ever asked for. And so this is what happens. The beggar's asking just for clothes, for these little things. And God says, I want to give you more. I want to heal you. And then it goes on to say um, in in verse 8 that after that the beggar was healed, it says he jumped up. And he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, think about this moment for the beggar. So I believe that he was at this double gate, correct? And so if he's out there, and we know that from the Mishnah, that people with those kind of infirmities wouldn't actually have been allowed to imagine for over 40 years sitting at the, the, the entrance of the gate and never being allowed to go in. And suddenly God comes and uses Peter and John, manifests his spirit, his glory shows up. This man is healed and he literally goes running into the temple. Like for some of my younger people like here, imagine sitting at the gate of Disney World your entire life and never being allowed to go in. Think about that. Verse 10, it says, and and, and the people recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And so it's always amazing to me. God took this thing, and he healed healed the beggar. And then the beggar goes running. I'd probably be cartwheeling into the temple. 
And he goes, and people see, whoa, wasn't he the guy that's been sitting out there for years? And it says people were filled with awe and wonder. And we're going to learn more next week that Peter's going to preach another sermon based on the healing of that man. And many, many more hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they come to the flock. So going back to what I was talking about earlier, this power, this significance, I love to read these types of stories where God, you see just how powerful God is and a person can be healed and things like that. But I also, remember, dreamer, I sometimes go, but hmm, I can't heal anybody. You know, I've never spoke a prophecy. God's not given me the gift to speak in tongues. And I know that we, 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 I love our church. We're very diverse. And so we've got some of our cessationist friends that live in here and, and come here and say, you know, oh, it's okay, Jerry. Don't worry about those types of things. The, the gifts, the sign spirits ended with, this, uh, the sign gifts ended with the end of the apostolic office. And so you're good, you know. And then we have our continuous friends in here that say, no, those gifts are still here, but God's given you other gifts. Don't worry about that stuff. But I'm realizing instead of getting like sad that I can't do the things that Peter and John did, what I have begun to realize is God has left every single one of us with a power that's maybe even greater than the sign gifts. Because the sign gifts are amazing. They always point back to who God is. But if you really think about it, the gift of healing only it heals the body. How many times have you heard of a friend that you prayed for and maybe they go for a cancer diagnosis to find out the cancer's gone and they go right back to their alcoholism and they missed the miracle. The gift of prophecy is awesome because maybe God gives you a word and, oh, wow, I know where I'm supposed to go and that's awesome, but you could still end up not finishing strong. The gift of tongues, again, points to God, but, but there is one power and it's the only power that has the ability to actually save and to cleanse the soul. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we have this power in the gospel that can literally change the world forever. But so many times we're, we're either afraid to share it, or I would even argue that there's many of us that have heard the gospel, but we're not surrendered to it. Because what I know is if you come into contact with the power of Jesus Christ and you see that his death on the cross alleviated your sin so that way one day you may go to heaven, it changes everything about who you are. Your life will never look the same. And so what I've come to realize, the gospel of Jesus Christ is just not for the unbeliever. It's for all of us because here's the reality. And I love you guys. And it, it, when God put this in my heart to share it, I've been pained, but I, I have to be obedient. There are many of us sitting here right now that say, oh, ooh, hallelujah, the gospel. I'm surrendered to it, pastor. Are you serving anywhere in this church? Because if you're not, you need to hear the gospel again. And I would sit here and I would ask you, are you fulfilling the financial commitment that God has asked you to do to give his money back as he commanded in Malachi? Because if you're not, you are missing out in the gospel and you need to hear it Again, if you're listening to the same music that you listened to before you heard the gospel, if you're watching the same things on TV, you need to hear the gospel again because it is impossible to understand your sin and how you are in front of a holy God and not completely repent, turn away, and go in a new direction. And what, this, what God wants for Pathway Church is a community of believers who are just, everything we do is permeated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so I know there's some of us in here right now, and you just go, okay, gospel, cool, I'm tracking with you. Like, but what is the gospel? Here we go. Let me share it with you. So God creates the heavens and the earth, and he does all of this in seven days. And he creates Adam, and he creates Eve. And he gives them one, one, one rule, one law, however you want to say it. And he says, do not eat from the tree. So what do they do? They eat from the tree. They're deceived by the serpent, and they eat from the tree. And in that moment, when they did that, sin came into fruition, and God was then separated from his creation because of that sin. And because of that curse of Adam and Eve, it goes generation to generation to generation to the point where when every single one of us were born, we were born a sinner separated from God. But there's hope. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. So God, at the right time, he sent his son Jesus to come down to die on the cross for every single one of us that puts their belief in him and surrenders their life to him. And when you do that, it changes everything. Like I can't even begin to share enough how much it changes. You should not, if you have surrendered yourself to the power of the gospel, you can't look back and say, I look exactly the same as I did. Because you need to hear what I'm saying again. And so I'm going to trust right now that there's even some people in this room that are not believers. And maybe God is actually doing something within you right now. And maybe you're like um, the, the Jews at the end of, of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. is saying, what must I do to be saved? And so here's the salvation process as I understand it, as I dig into the God's word. And it's this. At just the right time, God in his sovereignty, he comes and he initiates salvation upon you. In Ezekiel 36, it says that God literally takes the heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. We call this regeneration. And then from there, when your heart turns into that heart of flesh, you are then able to begin to hear and to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you begin to understand, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. There's not amount of money I can give to a charity. There's not amount of, of time I can serve with the Salvation Army. There's not enough good stuff I can do to be saved. Our plight is literally this. Some of us, I think we like to think that we're just like, we're floating out on the water and we're just praying God would come and send us a life preserver. No. Scripture says we are dead in our transgressions. You're not sitting in the just needing to be rescued. You're dead at the bottom of the sea and you need somebody to bring you to life. And then from there, when you begin to understand that, then God allows that you have faith in him. And that faith when you believe in him as Jesus Christ as our Savior, you're saved. There's no prayer that saves you. There's no act that saves you. Jesus Christ already did all that. And so I know there are even some of you in the room right now, I believe God could be tendering up your heart right now in this moment. Then here's always for me, I think, the most difficult portion of the process that I, of salvation is there's going to come a point where you're going to come into contact with your sin, sin nature. Again, it's how you stand in light of a holy God and realizing I'm a sinner. Okay, maybe maybe from commit adultery, or maybe you did this or did that, and God needs you to see all of that, but He won't let you stay there long. Because then he reminds you that I loved you so much, I sent my own son to come down to die for every single one of those sins that you've been, that you committed. And scripture says that God then takes those sins and he throws them as far as the east is from the west. Church, that's why I say, if you understand that, 
and you surrender to that, you won't be the same. And it will compel you to share that message with people. You'll just, you'll just be sitting there going, go ahead, put me on the front line. Put me on the front line. That's what the gospel does. It changes everything. So we're going to respond, church. Um, would you stand with us? And so I have to believe right now, the Spirit's probably moving in some of your guys' hearts right now that you may be feeling maybe even some conviction over sin and things like that. It's okay. It's just God trying to get your attention. And so like, if you wanna come forward, we have people that are gonna be standing over here. Here's what I know about the story of the beggar. Somebody carried him to the gate every single day. He didn't get there on his own. And we have people standing over here right now that the greatest gift that they could ever give is they wanna help carry you to the gate and to tarry with you and to pray with you over whatever's going on in your life. And maybe there's some of you right now, you just wanna do a little business with God. We always keep this side open to come in to pray. And if there's some here, even right now, that are like, okay, I'm hearing you. The gospel message, I, I'm, I'm a sinner and you just, you need more information and you need to come up here, I'll talk with you. We have elders, I know Robbie Stave's here and he would love, I'm gonna tell you, love to come share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. So he... Church, if the Spirit of God is doing something, I'm going to challenge you as one of your pastors that loves you dearly. Respond. It's okay to come forward. It is. God meant us to do this, this walk together. And so there's many of us right now, Christianity is not a spectator sport. You're on the starting lines. You're on the team. And there are other teammates that want to be up here to love and to lift these, these, these things up with you. And so, church, let's just respond. Thank you.
That my Jesus spilled Now the curse of sin Has no hold on me Whom the sun sets free Oh, is Now my debt is paid It is paid in full By the precious blood That my Jesus spilled Again, I want you guys to know we love you so much. As pastors and elders, we love you guys so much, man. I know many of you get the phone calls on Tuesdays and throughout the week, and we just uh, are thankful for you, and you're prayed over. We're just here for you guys, and so keep responding all day. Remember at 3 o'clock, God performed a miracle. Isn't that amazing? Well, I have a microphone. Hey, you can't mute me. Back there. So, um, TNT's tonight, and uh, we still need some help with parking and attendance. Um, seven to 10,000 people, that's a lot of cars. And so, if God might move in your heart to come and to help us, we'd love for you, if you can, to go to our website and uh, click on the TNT link, and you can register right there to help park cars. 3.30 to 6.30. If you just want to go at 2.45, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go serve. Come up here to the youth room. 
get you signed in and we can get you out and help with parking. So, church, can I just pray? And then we can be dismissed. Father God, thank you for the cross. For your blood poured out. Lord, we are thankful today for your sovereignty, for your grace, for your mercy, for your justice, God. For all those things. And so I just pray at Pathway Church, God, may you take and just fan a flame in our hearts. God, that, 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 that flame be the gospel. And that we would take that message into Indianapolis County, into Florida, all over the world. I can't even imagine what it would look like if all the people of Pathway Church just turned and got on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful for you, and we're thankful for all that you're doing at this church, and God, just uh, we love you and give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. See you guys this afternoon.